A reading from the book of Ruth. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I have found favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does the young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the Daniel Island Fellowship. And again, welcome to all of our newcomers, especially. It's great to be with you. I cannot believe it's almost the end of June. Can you believe that? It's flying by this summertime. Uh, as we begin to look at God's word this morning from Ruth chapter two, would you bow your heads with me as I share one more word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the title of today's message is Faith in Action, and we are looking at this Old Testament book called Ruth. It's a beautiful book. I'll do a brief review of chapter one, if you missed last week, in just a few minutes. But I want to begin today by asking this question. Have you ever had to do a hard job as a means to an end? Have you ever had to do a hard job as a means to an end? Uh, when I met my wife, Carly, she's not here in this service. She'll be at the 11 a.m. But when I met my wife, Carly, it was around 1997. Her maiden name was Carly Vellner. She was from Minnesota. I know we have some Minnesotans here. Amen? A few of you. And uh, obviously, I was drawn to her uh, for various reasons. But one of the things that drew me to her was how hard she worked. See, my wife doesn't come 
uh, from a house of means. And so she was paying her way through Wheaton College, where we did our undergraduate education in Chicago. And when I met her, she was working three jobs while at Wheaton. And that's really, really tough because Wheaton's academically very rigorous. And I just want to highlight some of the things she did to pay her way through college. Maybe you can relate. Um, here's the first picture. Uh, what is that? That's a diaper. And uh, when I met Carly, she had come off of a summer of being a nanny where she was uh, at someone's house from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every night. Uh, for overseeing four kids where it was a dual-income family. The mom would get home at 6, overwhelmed. She asked Carly to stay another couple hours. And uh, I just throw up the diapers because I cannot imagine um, all the diapers she changed for some of those little ones. Like, when we started having kids, this was traumatizing for me, I'll just be honest. I was the youngest in my family, so I didn't grow up changing uh, little kids' diapers. And so when we had our first kids, I was like, this is um, sanctifying, right? Like, this is very hard. We have three kids, but then changing the diapers of another, I think that really requires a servant's heart, doesn't it? But that's not the only thing she was doing. She was also working in a factory that produced these. These grand um, additions to society, these are called sporks. So in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, there's a factory where you can go and earn income, not by the hour, but by the project. And so there's this one uh, time where she went and she had to put together cookbooks so all of her friends would go. And it's about speed, you know, and efficiency. So you put together cookbooks, you might get a couple bucks for each cookbook. They show up and there's like thousands of sporks. You had to build a little cardboard box, put the sporks in, close it. And she's like, Paul, I think we might have gotten just a few cents for every box that we, we... but she did it. She did it. And meanwhile, as a nanny at that time, believe it or not, she's earning six bucks an hour. That's what she was earning in those days. So she's a nanny. She's a spork master. But, but then when, when we were actually started to date, I remember she's like, hey, I got to go. And, and uh, I'm, I'm helping this, this woman with her household. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, I, I kind of embarrassed to tell you what it means. She told me she took a job helping a, a woman um, clean their home and actually iron their clothes. And they had two adult sons driving like BMWs or whatever, never left home. And in fact, she had to iron everything down to, yes, the briefs of the adult sons who lived at the home. And uh, in a similar fashion, as we look at Ruth chapter two, we see that Ruth sets out to do a hard job, determined to serve Naomi her mother-in-law. And I think the big idea, uh, is this working? It is working. I think the big idea of our passage is this. Faith is belief in action, and it's demonstrated by heart, hustle, and extravagant generosity. Faith is belief, believing that God is with us and for us. We can trust in his sovereign care. And we're going to examine, that's what we saw in Ruth chapter 1. We'll, we'll review that in just a minute. But faith is belief in action, and it's demonstrated by heart, hustle, and extravagant generosity. So let's unpack these points over the next few minutes. Point one, faith is belief in action demonstrated by heart. Our passage began, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. So a little backdrop to our text in Ruth chapter one, here's what we know. Uh, There's this woman named Naomi. She has a husband and two sons. There's famine in the land of Israel. It's a, it's a tough time. It's the land of the judges where they had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So it was a impoverished land and a violent land. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a great place to ran, raise a family. And so Naomi's husband, in order to care for his family, he moved the family out of Israel into Moab, which was an enemy country, so he could feed them. Makes sense, right? Well, then things start to go off the rails. He dies. And then her two sons, they get married. And then uh, those two sons die. Boom, boom. And then you've got this widow in a foreign land struggling, landing into a state of depression. And she's got two daughter-in-laws. And she says to these daughter-in-laws in in Ruth chapter one, you guys stay here. I need to go home to Israel. I hear God showing up again and bringing a harvest. But you guys flourish here. Stay with your people, stay with your place, stay with your gods. And Ruth says, no way. And there's this, there's this unbelievable love that's displayed and recorded in Ruth chapter one by Ruth herself. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And so Ruth is converting her heart, not just to Naomi, but to the Lord and says, I'm going with you and I'm going with him back to Israel. It's a beautiful story. So in chapter one, Ruth sacrifices everything to go with Naomi. And now here we are in chapter two. She goes from sacrificing everything to now risking everything in order to serve for Naomi, her mother-in-law. Now, in those days, in the fabric of Israel, there was embedded in the nation a means of caring for the poor. So listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So we see God is a God of mercy, calling for his people to be merciful. The problem is, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, we read these words. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. You shall not seek their peace or prosperity all your days and forever. So just put on your imaginary caps, if you will. So Naomi, she's heading back to Israel, and it's a dangerous place. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And not only does she go, then she says, I'm going to seek to provide for you, Naomi, by going to glean in the fields, even if it costs me everything. You got it? You tracking? She was a Moabite taking great risk to be faithful. And sometimes God calls us to take great risk, requiring great courage. I just want to pause and and ask this question. How might be God calling you to risk or lean into courage today for the sake of another. 
This chapter begs that question. So point number one is this. Faith is belief in action, and it's demonstrated first by heart. Point number two, faith is belief in action, and it's demonstrated by hustle. All right? The passage continues. Then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and harvest or gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. As I look at the hustle uh, backing the love of Ruth, I can't help but think of the early days of our church. Let me ask this question. Uh, who was with us when we first launched regular services in Providence way back when? We've grown. Just a handful, right? Well, let me tell you how this church started. There's a little church on Daniel Island, and we started uh, by running that church on Sunday evenings. They were super gracious to us. And the problem is it required tons of hustle. And my associate pastor, one of my associate pastors at the time was a guy named Wes Roberts. And let me tell you this about Wes. There's nothing beneath him. There's nothing that he wouldn't do to serve me and to serve you and to serve us. We would spend several hours before the 5 p.m. service trucking trusses in, literally huge trusses, metal trusses from the storage units behind BE, Bishop England, and we'd truck in TVs, and we'd put them in our trucks, and we'd set up, and wires everywhere, and, and then we'd set up food, and trying to make it a welcoming, hospitable environment. Uh, and, and then we'd have to break it all down. I've never seen a human being, oh, I shouldn't say that, I have. I've never seen a pastor sweat more than Wes Roberts. It got so extreme that I had to ask him to bring change of clothes, because uh, he would sweat so much setting up. But I knew about his hustle, when we finally leased out this space and built out this space, it didn't look like this. We built in those rooms and did so much work here, but we needed furniture. And we went to this place. It's a little slice of heaven called Ikea. Uh, we, we rented U-Hauls and we went to Charlotte. And, and we drove up there. We worked all day getting boxes. We knew we'd have to assemble all the furniture. That's not such a blessing. But nonetheless, we filled these U-Hauls and we came back. And halfway back, I get a call and it's Wes. And he says, Paul, I, I have to pull over. I, I, I can't keep driving. And I, and I can hear shaking, shaking in his voice. And, and he shares that he's suffering from essentially an episode. He's got a disorder that I can't even pronounce, so I don't even want to try to pronounce it. But it's where essentially it feels like someone puts him in a headlock. It's been called the suicide disorder. So we're on one of these major interstates. He's at the wheel of a U-Haul uh, filled with stuff for our church, and he's literally sweating and shaking like this. Why? For me and for you. You see, faith is proven true when it's willing to shake, sweat, and serve so others may experience the love of God. That's not only true when we look at my, my friend Wes's life. It's true when we look at this passage in Ruth. In fact, Ruth, through her hustle, generated admiration through her devotion, through those around her. 
Think about what the foreman said. Boaz, the landowner, comes and said, who is this woman? Who's she serving? And the foreman says, well, she's that Moabite that came back with Naomi. And she asked if she could glean the fields and she hasn't left the field all day. So might it be that the way to win someone's soul is first to win their respect through our heart and our hustle? And that's what we're seeing here as the story shifts with Ruth in her heart, in her hustle. Point number two, faith is belief in action demonstrated by hustle. And point number three, faith is belief in action demonstrated by extravagant generosity. The passage goes on. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. You see, just as Ruth shows love to Naomi, Boaz now shows love to Ruth. And let me frame the picture. The way they would harvest the fields in those days, the men would go through and they'd cut the stalks and they'd lay piles in the aisles or the lanes. And the women would come behind, grab the piles, wrap them up and bring them back to a shelter. And, and notice his language. He starts by saying, not you foreigner. He's saying, my daughter. My daughter, join my team. I'm offering you my protection and my provision. And he's not only saying like, as an outsider, be an insider with me. He then takes it even more extreme. He says, no one's to lay a hand on you. And if you're thirsty, if you're getting dehydrated, drink from the jars the men have filled. This would have been scandalous. Why? Because foreigners were the ones that filled the jars and the women were the ones that served the men. And she's saying, serve yourself. Let the men serve you. So here, he's risking everything. And in the first verse, it says, uh, Boaz is a man of great standing. That means he's a man of mighty power in the, in the clan and in the nation of Israel. He doesn't care. Why? Because he sees God moving in the life of Ruth, and he wants to join God in what he's doing. And that's articulated as our passage ends. Listen to these words. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. And catch this, under whose wings You've come to take refuge. Two things I'd like to highlight. First, only in one other place is this language used where you leave your father and your mother. Early in Genesis, it's covenantal love language. It's marriage language. Leave your father and your mother and become one. So what he's basically saying and acknowledging is Ruth has left her homeland and her family to join Naomi's family and the family of God. He's saying, I've not only seen your risk, your sacrifice, but I've seen essentially your faith. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in response to her faith, he acts in faith in the, in the way he can 
by providing her with provision and protection. And you see, God gives some of us resource, great resource. Not so we can build a great life, but so that we can build God's kingdom. Faith is belief in action demonstrated by extravagant generosity. So in summary, faith is belief in action demonstrated by heart, hustle, and extravagant generosity. And I want to close with this story. It's the story of my friend Rob. A couple years ago, Rob was invited to our church through a couple named Bill and Didi. Bill and Didi are in the second row. And uh, they were running a, a ministry called Apartment Life. And they invited Rob to come. And he hung in the back for a while. And then I noticed he started engaging with people. And then he started coming up to me and to others for prayer. And you'll see in just a few minutes, we offer an invitation to come receive prayer through our prayer teams. And he kept coming and coming and coming. And he'd say, Paul, can you pray for me? And I said, sure. And he'd say, I want to I pray for my mom, Liz. She doesn't know the Lord and she's not doing well. I said, tell me more about that. He says, she has COPD, which is a lung disease, and she's got terminal cancer. And so we would pray for Liz over and over again. And finally, she shows up to church. Uh, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Finally, she shows up to Charleston to visit Rob and she contracts a bad case of pneumonia with those other things going on. I get a message that they've rushed her to the ER at one of our local hospitals, and there she loses uh, the ability to breathe. And it looks like it's the end. And somehow they put her in intensive care, and after the fact, they learned that she had a DNR. Do you know what a DNR is? Do not resuscitate. Somehow they brought her back to life, and uh, she was in intensive care for a couple of days, and they had to converse with Rob, and they said, if we remove her from intensive care, she might pass away. She might die. And uh, sadly, he said, well, that's what she wants. She wants to just pass on. The pain has been so real. She's ready to whatever happens, happens. And they said, are you sure? And he said, I'm sure. I'm sure that was a hard time for him. Well, they did take her out of intensive care, and believe it or not, she breathed. Not only did she take breath and still live, she showed up at our church. Why? Because Rob was going to be baptized. So he brings her to church. She walks in with her oxygen tank. She comes to church, and then later that day, she meets us out at Isle of Palms for Rob's baptism. You saw a picture of it earlier in the service where we have all these people holding hands, praying for those who are being baptized, celebrating those who are being baptized. And then someone gets a tug on their shoulder, on their shirt. And it's Liz, Rob's mom, saying, I want to be baptized. And I, uh, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just an emotional response. I actually pulled her out to the side, met with her, talked through the scriptures. Here's what baptism means. Here, here's how much God loves you that he sent his son to die for you, to offer you new life in him, and this and that, and baptism, rebirth into his family, our family. And she's like, yeah, I understand that, and I'm ready. And so her son gets baptized, and, um, and then we do this. We baptize her, 
we baptized her. Now, here's the deal. We didn't dunk her because um, she had oxygen, oxygen tanks. And here's a picture of Bill and, and Dee Dee and Pastor Jerry and Rob. And I'm just cupping water, pouring it over her head over and over again. And new life is falling on and inside this woman. And then, of course, as everyone hears the stories like rippling throughout all of our people, and then everyone's literally cheering, screaming for Liz and for Rob. You see, Rob was living by faith, living by heart, hustle, with extravagant generosity towards his mom. And all of us are called to do the same, as we see in the book of Ruth. All of us are called to live by faith, demonstrating heart, hustle, and extravagant generosity. It might be to our family members. It might be to our neighbors. It might be to our city. Some of you are going to travel the world. And I just invite us to know that God is with you and for you, and he calls you to live into that in every way in your life, regardless of your age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I first lift up Liz right now, Rob's mom. And as she's facing the end of her life, we pray that you would give her peace, hope, and love. I thank you for Rob's faith. And I thank you for Ruth's faith. God, would you lead us and love us so much that we could go out and live by faith. Not just hearing the word, but doing it through heart, hustle, and extravagant generosity. We pray in Jesus' name.